I want to ask you a question today, Bethel. It's a, it's a short and simple question. At least it's, it's fairly short and simple in terms of the words, but it's actually a very piercing and probing question. And it's vitally important. Do you believe that you need the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that you need the Holy Spirit? Do I believe that we really need the Holy Spirit to live your life and go through your days and be all that God intends for you to be as His child? Do you really need the Holy Spirit, to to be the church that God is calling us to be collectively and to do all that God is calling us as a church to do and to live out, do we believe that we really need the Holy Spirit? Or to ask that question in a different way, if the Holy Spirit didn't show up, would you even notice the difference? If you think about your day-to-day activities and living your life, if you think about gathering together and whether that is on a Sunday morning like this or any number of others, you know, different settings and ministries we might serve in or be a part of, if the Holy Spirit were to not show up, would anyone notice? Some of us live like we can do this whole thing ourselves. We can live life. We we don't need anyone or anything. I'll just kind of do it myself. Some of us are like, I I know I can't do it alone. I know I need some other Christians around me, and, and I know I need Jesus. I mean, of course, Jesus is a big deal. He died on the cross for our sins. And if, if I've got a few people around me, and if I know about Jesus, then I'm good to go, surely, right? How, how many churches, sadly, are able through the, the skills of individuals and the careful planning of programs and the executing of events and are able to do a whole bunch of things that look really nice on the outside and yet if the Holy Spirit weren't there, you wouldn't even know because it's all by our strength, our wisdom, our might, our skill, our planet. Do you need the Holy Spirit? Do I need the Holy Spirit? Do we need the Holy Spirit? It's a heart-wrenching question, and I, I, I think in a sad way, far too often many of us, the answer, if we were really honest, is no. But the scripture we're coming to today 
in Acts chapter 2 has a resounding one-word answer to that question. Do you need, do I need, do we need the Holy Spirit? It tells us yes. If you want to jot down the big idea from today and use this when you go to your small group this week, it's this. The people of God, whether you're talking individually or together, desperately, vitally, absolutely need the Holy Spirit. That's the message of our text today. If you haven't already, grab your Bible out. Grab one that's nearby you if you didn't bring one with you. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 is where we're going to be today. God's Word shows us that we desperately, vitally, absolutely need the Holy Spirit in two key ways from this text, okay? Here's the first one. The Holy Spirit renews our relationship with God. The reason why you need and I need and we need the Holy Spirit is because he renews our relationship with God. Let's begin in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. What's referred to there as Pentecost, that was the, the happening at the time of the Jewish festival, the Feast of Weeks. This was one of the, the big deal festivals in the Jewish calendar. Think along the lines of today in our society. We've got Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and Canada Day. The Festival of Weeks was one of their big deal holidays, okay? And on this holiday, Jerusalem, which normally at this time had a population of about 20,000, would grow to as many as 20, uh, 2 million people. 20,000 to 2 million people would be there in the city on these big festivals like Passover and the Feast of Weeks. So loads of people from all over have converged upon Jerusalem, and the 120 that were mentioned back in chapter 1 are gathered together for the festival as well. And we read in verse 2, suddenly, which is like, bam, unexpected, no one was anticipating it, whoa, suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So they're, they're all together, they're huddled up, and then out of nowhere, the promise that Jesus had given them has now come to happen. If you just look up the page on your Bible or flip back to chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus had said this, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, just let that sink in for a moment here. Just even that statement from the resurrected Jesus. Let that sink in for us. This is a group of people 
who have, have walked away from everything because they've devoted their lives to Jesus. So they've clearly put their faith in Jesus, this group, okay? They have not only put their faith in Jesus when he was living and walking and talking on the earth doing his ministry, but, but they have seen for a period of 40 days Jesus alive. So this is a group of people who have given their lives to following Jesus, who believe in Jesus with their whole being, and who have seen the resurrected Jesus alive. And this is a group of people who have heard, here's my plan, here's my mission, here's what I want you as my disciples to go and do. Now wouldn't you think that's like, check, 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 we're good to go? I trust in Jesus, I've seen him alive, and I know what he wants me to do. All right, let's go. Wouldn't you think that? But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You need to wait. Because there's something, no, 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 there's someone you need. See, Jesus was pretty convinced the Holy Spirit was a big deal. To the point where he's saying, you can't go do anything for my church until you have him. And now what we are reading in Acts chapter 2 is the answer, the fulfillment of what Jesus had said just a few days earlier. The moment is here when the one who they needed has arrived. It says there was this thunderous blowing of a violent wind, what sounded like a violent wind. Think the kind of sound if you've ever gone behind Niagara Falls and heard the roar of the water or, or a jet engine taking off. There was this, this violent sound of a wind. And there is fire coming from the sky, from the, from the ceiling, resting on top of each and every one of the 120 that are sitting there. We see this in verse 3. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And the Holy Spirit filled each one of them. Literally came to live in and fill these 120 people. And this massive noise, this huge event, grabs the attention of a whole bunch of people that are like walking in the streets, in adjoining homes, all kinds of things. This giant crowd comes rushing to see what on earth is going on. What is happening here? There's this big deal fireworks moment. But Bethel, there is so much more going on in this moment than a big deal, get your attention, fireworks show. There's so much more going on in here than this. See, what? Here, let me give you a little story. When I was, I think, about five years old, in, uh, in kindergarten at the schools that, that I, the school I went to, they were doing uh, vaccinations for the kids. Whatever your regular vaccines are at that particular age, they were doing the kids, the classrooms. They had a nurse come in from public health and come in and do them. And I was five years old, and I was, I was terrified of needles. 
And my mom knew I was terrified of needles, and so my mom very kindly and graciously took me along to our family doctor so that I wouldn't be alone when I got this needle. So I go to the, with, my, with my mom as a little boy to the family doctor, and I get my needle, and then, so I'm all good. And then the school day comes where the public health nurse is in the school, and they're getting everybody to do their, their shots. Well, I said to the nurse, like, no, I've already had my shot. I don't need one. And she said, I don't have any record of that. I think you're lying. And I said, no, I've had it. My mom took me to our family doctor. And I said, no, like, you can't give this to me. And, and she held me down and gave me a needle. Oh, that reaction, right? Um, but the reason why I tell you that story is because the smell to this day of rubbing alcohol brings me back to that moment. Anytime I smell rubbing alcohol, my mind, my body, like it like clenches up and I'm like a little five-year-old boy being like, no, 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 you can't give me a needle. It triggers me back to that moment. See, what's going on here in this text is there are two massive triggers that are supposed to send us going back to two massive, significant Old Testament moments. Here's the first one. The first moment this text is supposed to thrust us back to is 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now, I don't know if you remember exactly what chapter and verse 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is. That is the moment when King Solomon, the third king of Israel, he was David's son, has been given the incredible significant task of building the temple, the first temple in Jerusalem, the, the home of God on earth, okay? And God gives all of these different instructions of exactly how it's supposed to go down and all these kind of things. Solomon follows the whole thing perfectly to the, to the letter. And then 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is the moment of the grand opening. He gathers all the people together, and this is the opening ceremonies of the home of God on earth. Now, I want you to notice what happens. Look with me in verse 1 of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Do you see that? Do, do you see what just happened there? At the moment where God says, I am going to make this place my home, what came down from heaven? What came down from heaven, Bethel? And what did the Spirit of God do in that place? He filled that place. Does that sound at all familiar? 
to this exact moment that we are seeing right here. See, what's supposed to be happening right now is like you're like, smell the rubbing alcohol, okay? Let your mind be thrown back to this moment from 2 Chronicles chapter 7 when you read with Luke that fire from heaven came down and the glory of God filled the people. Here's what's happening. A new home of God on earth is happening right in front of us. Just as the first time when God made his home on earth, when Solomon built the temple, fire from God came down and he filled the temple. Guess who the new temples are? The 120, each one who are his. He is renewing our relationship with God. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing right here in this moment. And we all desperately need this. See, we go through life with this hole inside of us, trying to fill it with so many things. We have this hole where we crave meaning and purpose and significance. We crave to be loved. We crave peace. We crave hope and joy. We long for beauty. We, we try to find it in all kinds of places. Every one of us, don't we? Whether it be things we do to our bodies, experiences we chase after, the next job we try to get, the raise we try to get, the, the place we want to go to, the place we want to live, the toys we want to have, the people in our lives. If I just had a wife, if we just had some kids, if we just had some grandkids, if I could just retire, if I could, and we, we chase after all of these things. And people and places and experiences trying to fill this void inside of us. How's that working for you? Don't you see that these are always just like sticking jello to the wall and it never stays? Because there is only one who fills the void in your soul. That hole in your life is only filled by the God of the universe coming to live in you, to renew the relationship you are made for. And what we are seeing here in Acts chapter 2 is that's happening. That, that moment inaugurates the beginning where now each and every one who would call upon the name of Jesus will have the living God come into our hearts. This surely, it, of course, it, this, is like a, this is a fireworks moment. The crowd comes running, but this is not about the fireworks. It's about the fact that God is making a new home. There is a new temple. It's all who put their faith in Jesus. 
Do we really need the Holy Spirit? Oh, you better believe we do. Here's the second big lesson we see out of this text. The Holy Spirit also reverses our rebellion toward God. Look with me in verse 4. It says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All these 120 start bursting out in different languages. Miraculously, the Spirit enables them to speak in all kinds of different languages perfectly, fluently, that they'd never been able to speak before. They'd never learned them. They'd never taught them in school. They, didn't, they weren't the mother tongue they grew up in their families with. Just instantaneously, they're able to. Now, staying there in Jerusalem were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember, because there's this massive festival going on, right? The 20,000 has grown to maybe as many as 2 million. There's people from all over that have descended upon Jerusalem. When they heard the sound of the rushing wind, the, the giant firework moment, they all come running and verse 6 says, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia... Phygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? What is going on? The massive noise grabs the attention of all the visitors in Jerusalem. They come out of their homes and they hear this group that is obviously, I don't know if it's the clothes they're wearing or the color of their skin or whatever, like you're from here. You're, you're all just from around Galilee. And yet we hear you speaking in the language we grew up in, in our home with our parents, and we live way over here, and they're all hearing this. They were, we, we see here, in our text it says they were bewildered, they were amazed, they were astonished, they were perplexed. They're like, what is mind-blowing sort of moment here? What does this mean? I'll tell you what it means. I'll tell you what it means. Actually, let me first of all tell you what it doesn't mean, okay? Because this particular text, some of you will know because of perhaps even backgrounds that you've come from, there's a whole lot of, and I say this humbly, but just there's a whole lot of misguided, misinformed, incorrect teaching on this passage based upon this passage. What this text does not mean, this text is not teaching that the evidence for every person who gets saved is the Holy Spirit enabling them to speak in tongues. That is not what this text teaches. This text 
is not saying every follower of Jesus needs to have a second experience where you receive the Holy Spirit. That is not what this text is teaching. This text actually isn't even talking about, I would suggest to you, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. That's not even what is going on here. Now, how do I stand up here and say that? Well, first of all, I know this text is not saying that every person who is saved needs to speak in tongues because just keep reading a little bit in the book of Acts and you will get to, I don't know, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch who gets saved and guess what he doesn't do? Or you could go to Paul's conversion and guess what doesn't happen in Paul's life? Or you could go over to Lydia and you could look at her conversion and guess what doesn't go on there? And we could go to a bunch of other places too. So if you want to sit here and say, the book of Acts tells us every person, when they get saved, the evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit is they speak in tongues. Well, what about all these people that didn't speak in tongues but got saved in the book of Acts? This text, I know, isn't telling us that every follower of Jesus first gets saved and then at a later date is going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know how I know that? Because Ephesians 1.13 says, the moment you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The moment you heard and believed, you received the Holy Spirit. So that's not what this text is teaching. This text isn't even talking about the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. How do I make that assertion? Well, if you go over to the text in the scriptures that talks the most about the spiritual gift of tongues, it's 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Those three chapters, you see lots of spiritual gifts talked about, but the spiritual gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues are both mentioned in there, okay? You read through that, the way tongues and interpretation of tongues as a spiritual gift are talked about in 1 Corinthians is an entirely different situation than this. What is the spiritual gift of interpretation of tongues if you think Acts 2 is talking about that? All they were saying is, I can hear you speaking Russian because I grew up in Russia. That's not a spiritual gift. That's just you grew up in Russia and you know Russian. You want a hint. This is a whole other topic for a different day. You can come talk to me afterwards if you're really intrigued by this. But you want a hint into what I think the spiritual gift of tongues and interpretation is talking about. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. I think that gives you an insight into what the spiritual gift of tongues is all about. And what you've got here is something totally different than all that. So what is happening here? What's happening here is another moment of smell the rubbing alcohol. That's what's going on here. This text is meant to thrust your mind, my mind, back to Genesis chapter 11. Again, I'm not sure off the top of your head if you remember what Genesis chapter 11 is. Genesis chapter 11 is the story of a group of people who were getting overcome in their sin. In their arrogance, they thought, we know better than God. We're going to gather up all together and we are going to, we're going to show that, that we know better than God. We're going to show that we are stronger than God. We are going to show that we ourselves could even be God. And we're going to build a tower so that we can go right up to heaven and show we are God. 
Now look with me again at what happens. Genesis chapter 11, verse 5. But the Lord came down, underline that one, to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, underline that word, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. See, in their sin-filled rebellion against God, they were like, we are going to show God we know better than him. And so God came down and stifled their sin by confusing them and making them speak in all kinds of different languages. Now put these two passages, Genesis 11 and Acts 2, side by side. Do you see how in both times God comes down? Do you see how in the first instance their sinful pride led them to be scattered into different languages and confusion? And in the second time, he baffles them because now the many languages are almost as if they're becoming one. In the first instance, it all went down because the people are like, oh, we know better than God. And in the second instance, they are declaring the wonders of God. See, what's happening in this moment is not trying to get you to come up with some cockamamie theology of tongues. What's happening in this moment is we are undoing the curse of sin. That's what's happening here. We're undoing the curse. The Holy Spirit comes to undo the brokenness because of rebellion and sin. That's what Acts chapter 2 is all about. See, we are all under a curse because of sin. We all, every single one of us, live in rebellion against God saying just like they did at the Tower of Babel. I know better than you, God. I can even be God. I will be the God over my own life. Now, I know in our world, there is a lot of brokenness. I know there is. We all know there is. You see it. I see it. We all see it. And we all chase after solutions to the brokenness. And that is good and noble and understandable, most certainly. And so we hear things like, well, if we just get more education for people, then the brokenness will be fixed. If we just get better health care, more broadly and accessible to everyone, then the brokenness will be fixed. If we, if we just get more people housed, then the brokenness will be fixed. If we just do media campaigns to raise awareness, then the brokenness will be fixed. And all of those things, I get the heart. 
We see brokenness and we want to remedy the brokenness and that's a good thing, but the problem is none of those things will ever solve the problems of our broken world. Because the root of the problem of brokenness in our world is poisoned hearts with sin. The problem in our world is every single person's heart has been poisoned by sin, including yours and mine. And no matter how much you add these other noble attempts, they will never deal with the poison inside. And this is why the Holy Spirit came. To remove our dead, poisoned heart and to give us new hearts, a new life. To take all that Jesus had done for us on the cross and apply it to our lives. To change us from the inside out so that we can now have the power to live the life that God is calling us to live. The only way we can have our world change is by individuals' hearts being changed. And the only way any one of our hearts can be changed is by faith in Jesus and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. The curse needs to be undone. The rebellion needs to be removed. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so what this means is, for every single one of us, do you need the Holy Spirit? Do I need the Holy Spirit? If you want to be saved, if you want your motives to change, if you want to overcome that sin that you are struggling with, or be an agent for actual transformation in our world, you need the Holy Spirit to remove your dead heart and give you a new heart. If we want any of the ministries that we are doing to have any significance, we need the Holy Spirit. It is amazing that we have 47 kids coming to Awana and many of you volunteering in Awana. That's fantastic. And on our own, you could run a really cool program. Just roll it all out. It's wonderful that there's 75 students downstairs. You could use wonderful skills to just make a fun time for kids. That's great. We've got incredibly talented musicians who could come in and lead great songs for us to sing. We've got a building that we can do. We can run north of 55 programs that feel like a nice community to gather together with peers. We can put on small groups where you get together and feel like, hey, I'm not alone. I'm getting together with some other people. On and on and on. I could go, okay? But if we do all of that on our own, you might be able to pull it off. There's a lot of really skilled people in this room. But it will have no lasting significance. It will not change one heart on your own. It will not transform a single family. It will, you will not be able to even change yourself. You and I need the Holy Spirit. Do you know you need the Holy Spirit, Bethel. Do we know we need the Holy Spirit? 
you might sit here and say, oh yeah, of course, I, I fully agree. Before, as soon as you asked that question, Alan, I was immediately saying like, oh yeah, of course we need the Holy Spirit. Or, or maybe you were like, yeah, I'm not, I, I don't really know too much about the Holy Spirit or he's been a bit confusing and, and uncertain for me, but now I'm kind of hearing and I'm tracking with you. Oh yeah, 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 I agree, I agree. We need the Holy Spirit. Let me close off by just pushing in just a little deeper, if I may. See, I've been around this game long enough to know it's really easy in a moment like this, in a place like this, to sit here and be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally agree. For sure. Do you know what one of the greatest litmus tests to tell if you really believe you know the Holy Spirit is? Not just if you say it on the outside or I say it on the outside, okay? But do you know what one of the greatest tests to see sincerely in your heart of hearts do you and I and do we collectively actually believe we need the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it is? Prayer. Prayer. Now, there may be some others, but this is one of the top of the list. The disciples here, did you notice a little bit earlier that they, leading up to this, they were gathering together in prayer. You will see over and over and over again, as we go through this book of Acts, this is a repeated theme. They gather together in prayer because people who know they need the Holy Spirit are desperate to call out to God for help. People who don't think they need the Holy Spirit, regardless of what you or I say. Guess what we don't do? We don't pray. Because why would I pray? I don't need them. I got it fine myself. So, think about the transformation you feel is needed in your own heart. Think about the ministry that you serve in and are a part of. Think about coming to church on a Sunday morning. Last night, what were you doing anticipating this morning? This morning, on your drive-in or in preparation for when you were coming here, what were you doing? When you go to small group each week, when you lead small group each week leaders, when you serve in kids, when you are a part of the welcome team, when you go on and on and on, we could talk about here. What's going on in your heart? See, people who know they need the Holy Spirit are a praying people. People who know they need the Holy Spirit are praying people, are desperately crying out, God, I need you, I need you. Please come and move in my heart today. Please come and lead us as we serve today. Please come and show us your presence today. We need you. And it just so happens that this text, and this is not at all lined up strategically, it's the Lord's working lands us on the very morning when we as a church are gathering together to kick off our fall by praying together tonight. 6.30 tonight, we have a time where we and Bethel Southwest are uniting in this place to pray. 
here's my challenge for us, Bethel. Now, I, I, I totally get you might have an immovable item in your schedule tonight that you cannot make it. I totally get the only place that you can pray is not gathering together in this building with your church family. Okay, I'm not saying that, but yet it is a significant thing for the people of God, your church family, to gather with them and pray. So, tonight, would you commit to coming back here to pray? Would you commit to coming back to this place to live out your response to God's word and say, I am going to display, there's lots of ways I could, but one super obvious thing my church family is doing on this very day, seven hours from this very moment, is uniting together to call it in prayer. To say, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you in our lives more and more to influence and change us. We need you in our community. We need you in our church ministries. We need you to be poured out. Would you consider moving something around, pushing through the Sunday night being off, to come and unite with your church family to say, I desperately am going to cry out to the Lord.